0: Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. We need to do some, uh, what do they call it, uh, clean up stuff. We left some debris. In the last couple of days so I'm just gonna uh, take a few minutes to clean up a few things one is I want you to be aware of uh, this conference is 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 a really I'm suffering with a spiritual warfare and uh, I'm not gonna go into it but last night's preaching I did not like (laughs) I'm not kidding you I I, I thought, where is he? Back there. And brother, I, I know you prepared. I know you prepared before you ever even met me, right? I don't think we have never met. So uh, that, that, you got that going for you, but uh, you were calling me out in a very personal way. And I was very angry at you i this is not laughing. <laughs> but when you said uh, there's men that you know crave attention, uh, it's it's a warfare yep. i I loved yesterday. Uh, the teaching was fine. It's when we went out back, and I got twelve guys asking me questions uh, So Jeff. And uh, Troy asked me to talk about a couple of things. They want me to kind of shore up. One is people keep saying, "Oh, you got to do worship. You got to do worship." I'm like, "Okay, I'll do some worship." So I'm going to do some worship here in a minute. Before I do that, they, Jeff asked me to could you do the could you do something on the perfect word, the perfect you know pa- you know the the perfect uh, uh, order, perfect uh, pattern could you say something about the perfect word? So I'm going to say something about that real quick. One is, I just spent time with uh, my brother-in-law, who loves the NIV, I guess. He uses it. And we were studying, and I was showing him some of the things I was doing. And what's remarkable to me is how they change the words. I, I don't usually look at other Bibles, but the word that really, really got me going was they change it from judgment to justice. And you do not understand the incredible difference that makes in producing these patterns. I could not do these patterns with justice. I have to use judgment. That word is, is, is so vitally important, but all the words are. We have a perfect word. Who, by the way, uh, was translated by flawed men. who is preaching the perfect word by using flawed men. I think that's what he was getting to, you know. We need to remember that. The other word that drives me crazy, and if you're guilty of it, you need to repent. I'm serious. I would even have an altar call right now. If you're a pastor here, and you're changing where the King James says, Charity to love, you need to repent. They're not the same word. Somebody asked me, what's the difference between love and charity? Love is L-O-V-E. Charity is not. It's (laughs) C-H-A-R-I-T-Y. Hello? They're different. And they're remarkably different. And I've heard pastors, good, independent, Bible-believing, King James only. We need to talk about that. You guys do the O out down here. I said to, I said to uh, uh, Troy, I said, what's this O? KJV I get, but what's the O? Only. I said, well, maybe you're only in Ohio. But in Massachusetts, it's not O, baby. It's A. King James. Alone. Ask Eric May how alone we are. It's KJV alone. So that's a word. So don't change it. Charity is... Charity is so fundamental to these diagrams. And a word that's closely associated with charity is perfect. Or like Colossians 3.14 says, perfectness. Put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Pastors run away from the word. I have heard more pastors preaching, and when they get to the verse, they read it, perfect, and then they apologize for it. Well, we know nobody can be perfect. What on earth does that mean? You've been called to be perfect. Even as flawed as you are. Do you realize that Christ was made perfect? He wasn't born perfect. He was made perfect. By the things he suffered. What was his perfection? He followed the will of the God, right? The will of the Father. What's your perfection? It's found only there. And that's what, that's what we're doing for discipleship. And if we get there, I'm going to explain some things in this model for discipleship. I don't know if we're going to get there fast enough. Listen, this is what I want to do with worship. So that's, is that on, enough, Jeff, yeah. on perfect word? this is worship and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because we got other things to do know him, power of his resurrection, fellowship of his suffering there's three things that occur with Peter, James and John do you know what they are? anybody tell me what three things Peter, James and John circle of privilege just give me one transfiguration here you go Trans, I don't know. Figure, Asian, something like that. Mount well, Transfiguration. Place of worship, right? What's another one? Jairus' daughter. Resurrection. What's the other one? I'm going to write garden. Garden. Do you know there's abject failure in all three of these? How did they fail here? They fell asleep. (laughs) How are you going to fail here? You're going to fall asleep. Do you know why you're going to fall asleep? Same reason they do. Come on, why did they fall asleep? Because they were tired? No, no, the Bible tells you why they fell asleep. For sorrow's sake. For sorrow's sake. (laughs) I'm ready to fall asleep. I got bad news last night that makes me want to sleep. And I can't get any of it. I couldn't even sleep last night because of it. Isn't it a a, a weird thing? You know what I want to do right now? I want to watch TV. I want to go to the theater. I'd like to go to a ball game. If I was, if I I grew up differently, I'd want to do drugs. If I was a drunk, I'd want to drink. Because it's all escape. And we're all asleep. We're all asleep. And this is the only time that God is asking you for one hour, for this one moment, stay awake. Abject failure. How did they fail here? Anybody know? Unbelief. They laughed at it. What are you going to resurrect her? But here's the problem with worship. What was the failure there? Go ahead. Yell it out. Well, they wanted to stay. That's a good one. They wanted to build three altars. Not one. You have multiple altars in your life. I could tell you this: I don't know Jeff Bartell very well, but I know he's a flawed man. I know Alan Shelby very well, and if you want to meet me after, I'll tell you about all his flaws. <laughs> you get it? Nobody, nobody, is a superhero no supermen in the church, one head, one to worship. And you're doing a disservice to your pastor if you're worshiping him. You're hurting him. You're putting him in harm's way. And like Bill Belichick read enough praise about his coaching, the problem he's having this year and past Couple of years without is because he believed the press, isn't that what you said? He started believing the press and he thinks he's some genius and he's not, he's a flawed coach, and it's becoming more and more evident. How's that? Are we good with this? Is that worship enough? I don't know, you want more worship? I'll give you more worship, but I got things to do. Huh? All right, just tell me. I'm just trying to be obedient servant to you. Come on. I hope I didn't embarrass you, Jeff, by telling them what you told me. Okay. You're a flawed man. <laughs> thank, thank goodness you are. All right. So we're going to go. This is Paul's journey. Paul's journey. I love this. As a matter of fact, you could tell when I love something because I've used colored pencil for my diagram. This one comes from about 10 years ago, also like Romans did. And it, and, it, and it kind of mimics Romans. It's very similar to Romans because Paul's journey is much like what our journey should be. It starts in the outer court. Now there is some caveat to that because Adam doesn't start in the outer court. Some people ask me about Genesis. Can you can you can you tabernacle Genesis? Absolutely. And one of the things that you can tabernacle is where did he, where was he placed? He was placed in the garden east of what? Eden in the field. So you've got the field which is the outer court. You've got Eden, which is the inner court, and you have the garden, which is the most holy place. And this is where he had communion with God. He's thrown out of the garden when he sins. That's where we are. That's our starting point. So we're at the starting point of the outer court. We all understand that, right? We're good with that? So Paul also is starting from the outer court. So this is where he starts, right here. And what's happening in the outer court with Paul? He's observing... Faith. He's an observer of faith. Uh, how's he observing it? Well, he sees Stephen stoned. He's standing right there. He's actually instrumental in the stoning of Stephen, right? And he's holding the cloaks, and he's the guy, and he's observing faith. And, and, and he's got, he's, you know, he's confused, right? We talked about that, being confused in the outer court. But then he comes to, because this is observation, right, under the sun, Then he comes to Revelation. Where does he come to Revelation? On the road. road. He comes to Revelation on the road. And on the road, what's revealed to him? The two most important things, who Christ is and who he is. He sees himself as undone. No hope. (laughs) I'm a flawed man. I'm a failed man. Uh, God says to him, you know how long are you going to kick against the pricks i mean what what's you know i mean he is he is being revealed for who he is, and Christ is being revealed to him, and what he does is he repents now Paul is a little different in the fact that his pattern uh has has a really wild uh you know uh what would you call it a wild experience. He goes to the third heaven. what do we know about this first heaven right? We good with that? Second heaven? Paul goes to the third heaven. What's he see in the third heaven? I have no idea. He won't tell me. It's beyond comprehension. But I can tell you what he does get there. Consolation. Consolation. And what this does in the third heaven is it changes him not only from Saul to Paul but it changes it changes his direction and he's going to come out now and i think maybe he was like those men at the mount transfiguration i think he would have liked to stay there but christ said no we're going out and we're going out different than we came in a matter of fact when you're going in when he goes in he sees himself as a beast now, you need to study that because there's a few places where it's, it's clear, and 73 was one of them, where the psalmist says he sees himself like a beast. But the one that I like best is in Ecclesiastes. Where's Ecclesiastes in this? Is it outer court, inner court, or most holy? Where's Ecclesiastes? Inner court. This is Revelation, Right. This is where things are revealed, where the outer court is revealed. And what's, what's going on in that inner court? Seeing ourselves as beasts. As a matter of fact, this is what happens, uh, or this is what uh, Solomon, the wisest man, says. He says, here's the one thing. I think, I think you see it in, uh, I think it's the third chapter. Uh, he says, here's what I, here's what I desire, Lord, Show men that they are beast. They're as beast. Why? Because that's where the hope is. The hope is in recognizing you need a Savior. But what's he see out here? Do you see what's happening here? Uh, let me do this for you. This was, this was the sun, right? This was the candlestick. And it's creating a shadow. When he goes in, the shadow is as a beast. So one of the ladies asked me, they said, they came up to me this morning, they said, can you explain the mirror? You said, you said the inner court's like a mirror. I said, yeah, I can explain that. I said, when you're walking in, you, you see your reflection and you see who you are, you know, as Christ sees you as a beast or God sees you as a beast. But when you come out, what do you see? Christ in me. That's what it's supposed to be. The new man. So now, the shadow, do you see this is one form? This is a different form. That's the forms and fashions. So I come out, oh my goodness, who am I? This is what's going to be revealed in the inner court. That's part of discipleship. And if I get the chance to get there, which I doubt I'll get there, but what you're going to see is that this is this is this is all on the x-axis. And right here I could show you the y-axis. And what happens is there's a projection of what I call journey to maturity, there's a pattern out of Romans chapter 5, there's a pattern out of James chapter 1 that you see this this fractal that occurs along the y-axis. It's incredible. It's incredible. So now he comes out, he sees Christ. What's going on here? (laughs) He's being vetted. Remember, I use that word for Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. He's being vetted. Who's he being vetted by? The church. He's being vetted by the church. Matter of fact, what's his name? Barnabas? Doesn't he have to help with that, assist with that? And what's being done is the church is examining him. Now, one thing that we want to make sure we're clear of, all right, is that There's only a doorway, one doorway in here, one doorway out here. I can't get from here to there without going through here. This is what people do. They go, oh, I've been here. I've been here. I've been with Jesus. I know Jesus. I want to do home church. Just going to be me and my family. No church. No assembly. <laughs> no worship. <laughs> Thanks. Every time I can say worship, Jeff is going to be happy. <laughs> or maybe uh, uh, t- yeah, uh, Troy will be happier. So you come here, it's not so much, and, and I understand, that's good, no worship, no examination, no, no edification, no process. Even Paul goes through this process. And what he is, is he's called out of the church now once they understand, oh my goodness, you have been with Jesus. If the church looks at you and says, "Eh, I don't think he's been with Jesus, maybe you need to do a little self-examination rather than jump over the process. Does that make sense to people? You okay with that? Because that's, that's really important. And, and, it, and it puts church into perspective. So what does Paul do out here? He comes into the fellowship of his suffering. He's, he's called out to what? This is what's going on. Jesus is meeting us here. And he's saying, follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. I'm crucified in Christ. Where are you crucified? I heard a guy preaching. Maybe it was here. I don't know. It was this week. Maybe it was on the radio. Hopefully it was on the radio and not here. If, I, if you were preaching this and I say this, I'm sorry that I've had to correct you. Uh, you know what he said? He said, we just need to crucify ourselves. Where does he get that? You talk about you talk about false worship. You're going to crucify yourself? I don't know how you do that. Do you know how you do that, Jeff? How do you get the last nail in? You know who drives those nails? Other men. Hello? Other men. Some of them might even be your buddies. I know Christians who have crushed, crucified Christians. It's, it's, I don't know if that's doctrinally possible, but maybe, I don't know, whatever it is. So here it is. He was observed, I mean, he's observing here, he's being observed here. He goes from observing to being observed. You need to be observed. He's going from observation to demonstration, he's going from afflicting to being afflicted. Paul's journey. I've got verses on here, and you're more than hap- I'm more than uh, willing for you to come up and copy them after the break or whatever. But I'm not going to write them here. Can I get some help? How am I doing? Okay. Let's do this. We already did that. No, I need another, another hand. Okay. Let's do Christ. Christ's journey. You know what? I like, I like, I'm going to write this down. I put it on my paper. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your journey. Where's Christ start? We start in the outer court. Where's Christ start? What? Most holy place. Can't you can't make that mistake? It's the most holy place. He starts there. This is where Christ's journey starts. It goes like this. How did Paul's go? I'll just do it in the light green. Paul goes like this. Romans goes like that. You and I should be going that way, right? If we take the whole journey. <laughs> so how does he start off in the most holy place? What's the, whole, what's the most holy place? Tell me about it. Tell me something about the most holy place. It's where God dwells, right? What else is it? Third heaven. It's where, think about it in, in, you know, real terms. Where is it? It's where God communes with man, right? Isn't that where God communes with man? In the tabernacle, this is where God meets man. How did Christ come to be? Where does he start? He starts in the womb. This this thing, this new thing, this holy thing, it all begins in the womb as a result of what? Intimacy with man he becomes not only God, he becomes the God-man. He takes upon himself the form of a servant in the flesh. How? Through the communion with Mary. I noticed you said something about Calvinism. Okay? I, I don't know that I could teach you a lot about the difference between Calvinism or what we believe, but I could teach you this as a state police officer. Calvinism is a capital crime. I'm sorry, ladies. Calvinism is rape. If you don't have consent in the most holy place, you have a capital crime. How's that? You say, oh, uh, I'm, you know, well, we tolerate Calvinism. Yeah, Calvinism. You know, they're good guys. Yeah. And this is what they're preaching. Do you know Mary consents? You can read the account in Luke. She's told what God's plan is, and she says, Go ahead. She gives God consent. Without her consent, it doesn't happen with her, anyways. Do you understand? It's only by consent. But it starts in the womb. And where's he go? Where's he go? So he comes out of the most holy place here on earth through the womb of a virgin he's a young man where's the first place we see him at 12 years old he's he's in the inner court baby he's in the inner court and he's going to be in the inner court for a while a matter of fact it even says that he came unto his own and his own received him not he's in the inner court for a while and he's preaching and teaching in the inner court a matter of fact, later on when we talk about if we get there, uh, which we're not, but if we were to talk about discipleship, discipleship happens in a big way in the inner court. It happens in the church, right? That's what discipleship is. It happens in the church. One of the things that happens to your disciple and needs to happen to your disciple is not only to know him, but he needs to understand the power of the resurrection. How does he do that? He does it the same way Christ does, Luke chapter 4. He goes into the wilderness. Remember this is the wilderness? Do you remember that? You've you got to put things together. This is the wilderness. We know that, you know, Egypt, wilderness, promised land. He's in the wilderness, and what's he being? He's being tempted, and he's overcoming... He's overcoming. He overcomes when? Before he goes into public ministry. You need to be an overcomer before you can go into public ministry. You've got to be an overcomer before you can minister to others. Here's a mistake that discipleship, and I can prove it to you using these models. I can prove it to you that nobody should be a discipler that hasn't overcome. Look at that in 1 John, and you're going to see the progress of young uh, uh, children, young men. What are young men doing? What are the young men doing? Anybody know? They're overcoming the wicked one by abiding in the word. By abiding in the word. They're overcoming. How come it's so important that they're overcomers? Because you can't do 2 Corinthians chapter 1 if you don't. How am I supposed to minister the comfort that God has given me in my trials and tribulations to somebody who's going through trials and tribulations if I haven't received the comfort of the Lord? How do I transfer something I don't have? I can't do it. I've seen seen discipleship fail at this point. Because what you have is you have somebody who's in, who's discipling, who hasn't overcome whatever it is that they're dealing with, they end up with somebody who's dealing with the same problem. And you know what they end up being a pity party. And they and it's like drug addicts. You know that's the you know I'm not saying it's you know we we didn't have that but it's like that. It's like the drug addict who hasn't beaten drug addiction discipling somebody who's dealing with drug addiction, and you know what the two of them end up doing? Drugs! Oh my goodness! (laughs) Hello! (laughs) Right? And so what Christ does, this is Christ's pattern. He's showing you, you've got to be an overcomer before you can get to the outer court. He's going to go to the outer court, which is what? The crucifixion outside the gate. I've got, I've got stuff here. You can look at it, because I, I just don't have time to write all this stuff down. But if you... You know, Christ's journey. So it starts in, in consolation. It starts in the most holy place. I have like... Uh, here, I, I would put Luke four here. You know, just I've got some other stuff, but I like Luke four there. But there's other things there that I have, like Luke 19 and John chapter one, stuff like that. But anyways, he's coming, he's coming out of uh, the most holy place. He's coming to, he's coming to us here. Uh, I mean, to his people first. Then he comes to the Gentiles. This is, by the way, sometimes called the court of the Gentiles. Here he's going to be crucified, where? Under the sun, for everybody to observe. All right, are we tracking? Okay, I see some heads uh, uh, bouncing, so that's good. So (coughs) now what does he do? (laughs) He's crucified. You could even do a loop like this. He goes to the center of the earth for three days, right? And he, and he does the preaching down there to them. And then he resurrects. And before he goes to the most holy place, where does he go back? <laughs> goes back to the church. The same, you know, the same pattern, but kind of in opposite directions. So he goes back to the church, and he's vetted. We okay with that word, vetted? So he's back to the church, He's proven, he's proving the resurrection. And then where does he go? Back to the most holy place. Thank you, Lord. He came. He did that for us, right? How are we doing? Are we okay? Come on. I got at least ten more minutes, maybe twenty. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fly. I'm gonna fly, baby. Okay, you're gonna really have to work with me on this. I preached this at Eric May's church, and I asked Eric. I said, I said, your people were wonderful. I said I really enjoyed preaching uh, this journey to maturity. I call it. I call it my journey to maturity. I said, I really enjoyed uh, preaching journey to, ma- you know, journey to Maturity. I said, what do you think? You know, they get it? And he's like, "That sort of. He said, everybody loved it. They all talked about it. He said, but I think it was a little over their heads. You know, but he said, and you know, I, I was selfish. Uh, Eric asked me to come and preach. He's asked me to preach a few times there. And I always enjoy going to this church and preach like that. It gives me great opportunity to practice. And so I went there and I was working on this and I'm like, oh, I'm going to do Journey to Maturity. And uh, it was great practice for me. I don't know how well they, what they got out of it. But I didn't lay a lot of groundwork because I didn't have time. But I gave them a handout and I've got some left over. And uh, you're welcome to grab the ones that I do have here, but journey to maturity. And uh, this gets us into uh, uh, a complex number. You know how I talked about fractals and numbers? What you have is you're going to get complexity now. If you notice, what I've been doing is basically uh, uh, you know, one line, and I've been doing uh, goings, right? Uh, and Cummings. And and this does that, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to do parallel lines. Well, it's it, this is the wrong direction. It's going this way. We're going this way. Uh, I get confused. So, the, I uh, should have used a different color right here. So, you have two patterns, and I call these complementary patterns. So we've been working with simple patterns. We've been working with just one pattern, moving in a certain direction and moving through the tabernacle. Now we're going to we're gonna, we're gonna move two patterns that are complementary of each other. And one of the patterns is uh, found in 2 Peter chapter 1. I don't have the verses for you, but turn there with your, in your Bible. And, and keep your finger there. So you've got 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Then you have 1 John 2, 12 through 14. Okay? So now you have two patterns operating at the same time. So I think that might be, you know, why it's a little more confusing. But you people are fast learners, and I'm excited to give this to you. So let's call this... Second Peter. And we're moving from here to there. How does it start? This is faith, isn't it? This is where faith brings me, is into the most holy place. Then it says, add to your faith virtue and virtue knowledge. Remember we said, this is knowledge too, knowing him. So all three of those things are in the most holy place. So I have faith, virtue, and knowledge. I had a hard time with this because I thought virtue should come later. Because I'm thinking to myself, it takes time to have virtue. I disagree with that. If you define virtue as a thirst for righteousness. Because I think once you have faith and you're in Christ... Even before you know everything, you want righteousness. That's the Holy Spirit's work. I remember being a young man, well, a young man, 22 years old, getting saved. I didn't know anything, but I wanted righteousness. I, want, I was under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I wanted, I wanted holiness. I, I, wanted, I wanted the new man to express himself in me. I I threw away music, I threw away alcohol, I threw away, you know, I didn't throw away swearing as well, I should have. But, you know, I threw away a bunch of things because I wanted virtue. And I I think that's what's compelling about the fact that you go from faith to virtue to knowledge. But that's where I get, that's where I'm here. So what's the inner court? You're there, what do you think the inner court is? I would think it's the next two, right? Or at least something in that category. Temperance and patience, right? (laughs) This is wilderness. What was the problem with uh, the nation of Israel in the wilderness? They had neither temperance nor patience. All right? What, what was the success of Jesus Christ in the wilderness? He exercised temperance and patience. Do I have to explain that anymore? Because it's very important. But we're going to expand on it if we have time. We're going to go up in this category because this category right here is, uh, is a single, single failure point for discipleship. So anyways, so you can disciple somebody and... You can give them knowledge, they, they have faith, they might love uh, virtue, and then as you disciple them, you're getting this done, and then all of a sudden, you're going to get here. <laughs> and, and that's where I see a lot of failure points in discipleship. But anyways, we could talk more about that. So, what, what in Second Peter would come after that? Godliness, right? Brotherly kindness. And it shouldn't be a surprise that the end result is charity, not love. We get it? Charity is doing love, you know? The outer court, all three of these things are outward they're not they 're not inward they 're outward godliness what 's godliness what 's the mystery of godliness? Christ manifests in the flesh that 's Romans chapter twelve. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Christ manifests in the flesh. It's not me anymore. It's Christ in me. That's what Paul is talking about. It's the crucified man. It's the crucified believer. This is ministry. This is where ministry happens. After this happens. After this happens. After this happens. Now I'm in ministry here. Now I'm in ministry. And... And I'm ministering to somebody. I'm discipling somebody. I'm winning people to the Lord. Not that you can't win somebody with just some faith and some knowledge. Don't get me wrong. You can do things like this in any of the courts. But this is where it's it's the dominant, you know, function of your maturity. So godliness, God manifests in the flesh, brotherly kindness, the exercise of of. Of uh, Philippians chapter 2, esteeming others greater than yourself, being a servant towards each other. This is this is what a pastor should be, is is a servant. A matter of fact, I, I was talking to somebody, they reminded me I preached this message a long time ago, I think, and they remembered it. I, I was really thrilled that they remember this, but uh, I'm just gonna give this to you real quick. You have you have Timothy here, first and second Timothy. And what, what is what's Paul? What's he call himself? What's he call himself in Timothy? Come on, guys. I I know you're probably afraid to say the wrong thing. All right. He's an apostle. What is he in Titus? He's a what? He's a servant. What is he in Philemon? He's a prisoner. Does that look like an upward trend to you? That is absolutely a opposite of the world view. There is no greater book in your Bible that demonstrates the charity of Christ than Philemon. In the picture of Paul winning Onesimus and giving him back to Philemon. And you know what he says? To Philemon, if he owes you anything, put that on my account. You know what charity is? One definition. I heard from a flawed man, by the way, years ago. Charity is taking responsibility for someone else's failure. Paul does that all the time. You know what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4? One of the most remarkable verses in the Bible. Death worketh in me, life, well, death worketh in us, I think. Life in you. What a remarkable verse. Totally opposite of the worldview. Too much worldview in the church today, especially when it comes to leadership, right? Okay. Okay. You say, what's the parallel to this? The parallel is found in 1 John. Uh, Let me do red. I really worry about going too fast on this, but I, you know, Troy doesn't give me time. So it's his fault. So, 1 John chapter 2, what do we have? What's the three things we have? We have children, we have young men, and we have fathers. (laughs) What do children do? They know him. Get that? What do the young men do? We've already talked about it, right? They overcome. With what? Patience and temperance abiding in the word. You get it? Can you connect that? Patience, temperance, abiding in the word is what overcomes even Christ uses those things in the wilderness. He uses patience. You know what? Wrong time. Wrong time to get glory. Wrong time to have all these kingdoms. Wrong time. Going to be patient. Going to exercise patience. And he has temperance. He's in control of the situation. How? By abiding in the word. Okay, you got it? I don't have to explain that anymore, do I? What's this? Father's. Very subtle. You want want an exercise in in words being perfect? What do they say about the fathers? Anybody see the difference between the knowledge that's gained as fathers versus children? Because children, they know, but fathers know also. From the beginning. beginning. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I love it. I love the fact you figured that out. From the beginning. So what's that mean, from the beginning? What's the difference between me knowing him here and me knowing him here? From the beginning. What happens in the beginning? Slain before the foundation of the world. I was sitting with my son, my middle son, Paul. I have an older son, Adam, and a younger son, Luke. That's important for you to remember. Who's the older son? Adam. Paul is my middle son. Luke's my youngest son. Don't forget that. I'm serious. Don't forget that. Who's my oldest son? Adam. My middle son? Paul. He's sitting there with his brand new one-year-old on his lap. First, first child. And he's in my living room, and he's playing with this kid. Now, Paul is he's a man. He's a man. Paul is a man. Uh, you know, he's a builder. He's, he's, he's a man. Uh, people follow him. People look up to him. You know what he's doing with that kid? Oh, my baby. Oh, that's my baby. I love my baby. I'm kissing my baby. I'm like, be a man. <laughs> I, said to, I said to Paul, I said, I said, who's my first son? Adam. I said to Paul, I said, you love that kid, don't you? He says, Dad, I love him so much. I didn't, I didn't know I could love somebody like that. I said, no kidding. I said, you know what? That's exactly how your mother and I felt when we had Adam. Then I had to say, just kidding, just kidding. That's how I feel about you, son. That's the difference between the knowledge. When you start having children, you're going to understand the father's heart. When you start having children, you get it? You're going to understand the worth of suffering. You're going to understand what you would give for that child you're going to understand how god feels about you differently than you did when you were in the most holy place and we're on our way to perfectness it's all about charity it's all about moving that way you can be a bible scholar you can know your word of god you can do disciple you could do all kinds of things and without charity what is it What's the, what's the math? What's, what's without charity? What, you, know what, you know what the math is? If you look in Corinthians chapter 13, you know what? Do good math. Without charity, you're multiplying everything by what? Zero. You know what happens when you multiply by zero? The sum is zero. The sum is zero. We ought never to forget that. If you're not being driven to charity, if your maturity is not being driven to, to charity, you're not going in the right direction. They've robbed that of us because they think charity is weakness. They think love is like, hey, I deal... I, there's men that I, I, I deal with because we're a King James church, not a King James only. We're a King James what? Alone. alone church. So we're a King James alone church. You know what I get? I get men to come to my church that come out of Pensacola. They got it all right. And never get to charity. Huh? Yeah. That's the truth. And I, I, I can't deal with them. I can't I can't do it. I got no place to go with that. If we're not being driven to charity, what why do I why do I want to walk with that going in the wrong direction? I can end here or if you gave me 15 more minutes, more for Alan's sake. What do you think Alan? Don't, don't say things like that, Alan. Don't say things like that. <laughs> Come here. Okay, I'm going to try to do this because I was going to offer to do this this afternoon, but uh, Troy said a lot of you are leaving, uh, people are going back to work. So I'm going to try to do this for you because this is where I wanted to get. This was my goal to get there. So I think I can do it in like 15 minutes, and I'm going to try to do that. And this is where the fractals kick, kick in. And, and we've been working on a line like this. Okay? Okay. Now we're going to work on the y axis and 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 i would I would call this like complex numbers because complex numbers sit in here so <coughs> what's going to happen here is i've had two uh, I've had two what I would call uh complementary did you see that? We had complementary patterns. Did you see that? Peter is a complement to 1 John. That's what I want to teach you, is that tool. Because you're going to see that over and over again. There's going to be complementary patterns. And uh, when you put together complementary patterns, it's, it's going to support things, especially in the minds of the listeners even more. Did you notice, just so we, we get this straight, did you notice that that we started with Peter, right? And you got that. but when I went to first John, didn't it make even more sense? Say yes. OK? So the complementary patterns will increase the understanding. All right? And that's a good thing. But what's going to happen when we do this? So we've got uh, what was that? Second Peter? Uh, and first John, right? We're going to get into some bizarre math because what we're going to see is we're going to see not complementary, but we're going to see contrasting patterns now. And all of this is going to take each court. The best way for me to describe this is, you know, Satan has his patterns, which we haven't talked about at all, but there's satanic patterns, and then there's, like, one of the easy satanic patterns is what? Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life, right? Satanic pattern, right? So you have these, you have these patterns that I would, I, would, I would put them in the negative category. This is the plus category. So what we're going to do now is we're complicating things because we're still in the discipleship pattern that I just showed you, right? I just showed you a discipleship pattern, didn't I? Okay. Just want to make sure we're on the same page here. So this is in that discipleship pattern, and it falls within the inner court. It falls straight on in the inner court. And what you have is you have Romans 5. <coughs> You've got to help me, Marissa. I've lost my train of thought. Romans 5 and James 1. these These are contrasting, so in Romans chapter five, you're going to see this series. You're going to see you're going to see tribulation, you're going to see patience. See, we know where we are, right? Because of patience, and we're going to see experience, which is like wicked, important. That's what we say in Massachusetts. Think, things that are wicked are good, you. Yeah. We're so screwed up, it's amazing. So, tribulation, patience, experience, what? Hope. You might never have seen the negative of that. And I have to tell you that, you know, all of this stuff is not done in a vacuum. Uh, I spend a lot of time with other men talking about these things, and sometimes they don't even know what I'm talking about. But what they're doing is they're giving me more input. Uh, Men like Tom Paragallo, who's one of my best friends in New Hampshire. Uh, My my son-in-law, who doesn't even believe the King James, but he gives me all kinds of stuff because he's a physicist, right? Uh, Brother-in-law. What did I say? Son-in-law. Brother-in-law. And... uh, uh, And somebody you might hear, which is a lightning rod, I'm sure in this church, or in the minds of at least some people, my very best friend, Skip Brinkley. I spend a lot of time talking to Skip. Skip is a flawed man. So am I. But in collaboration, it's amazing what sometimes things can can happen. Skip and I, I'll just tell you a quick testimony. Skip and I have been friends for 30 years, We went two years without speaking to each other because we got angry at each other. You know what rescued us? The Word of God. That's what rescues friendships. The Word of God. So, I I tell you all that because a young man in my church, I think he was probably 17 at the time, and he was he was spending a lot of time with me and we would be talking and he was actually being discipled by my son-in-law but he would come to my house and he would ask me all kinds of questions and he would mow my lawn so that was really good Uh, he came to me now this kid's 17 years old in our church and he came to me and he said Mr. Charette he calls me Mr. Charette and he says Mr. Charette you teach Romans chapter 5 have you ever thought about James chapter 1? I said, no. He said, I think it's the anti-type. I said, really? This is what it is. And you can look it up. Temptation. Lust. Sin. Anybody know what the last one is? Death. so tribulation patience experience hope temptation lust sin and death this was a big deal to me because i had never thought in terms of lust being in contrast to patience but it is it absolutely is what's lust i mean we think of it as you know coveting a woman or something like that no no it's much it's much more than that it's wanting something before it's time Anything, even good things. It's lust. You say, what's your, what's, what do you lust after, Steve? Do you want to know? I have a real problem. Cars. (coughs) I love a car. I actually bought a Mazda 3 just because my flesh deserved it instead of a fast car i've always had a fast car you can ask marissa i bought i bought a supercharged jaguar when i graduate i mean when i retired and the guy that sold it to me said you're going to get arrested <laughs> and i should have been arrested but i simply said oh it's steve Sharet." oh okay see you later but i love that car I I I drove it. I drove it like I stole it. I'm I'm confessing my sin. But I have a Mazda three now. It's a nice car, but Ezra, sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Sometimes you just have to hit the reset button. (laughs) Experience. Where's experience? I I got these guys that all they do is talk about experience. I've had an experience. I've had an experience. I hate the word. I hate the word. I hated the word until I went to Romans chapter 5. I said, oh, Lord, I repent. I guess I'm supposed to like this word. Because you've got it in there. Well, if you look... If you look in Romans chapter 15, you're going to see uh, patience and hope. And do you know what's in between? The comfort of the scriptures. Isn't that what we're supposed to be experiencing in the inner court when we go through that trial or that tribulation? After patience, we're supposed to experience the comfort of the Scriptures. And that can take place in a real manifested way, not just reading your Bible. You see faith, you see your faith manifested, and we call that oftentimes a testimony. That's important because there's another pattern up here uh, in Revelation chapter 12 that says they overcame. How did they overcome? How did they overcome? The blood of the Lamb. The word of whose testimony? Their testimony. Isn't that strange? Not His, but His in them. It's the things you do in Christ that strengthen you, right? And out here, what? Even their lives, right? You see that? So here is the comfort of the Scriptures. So you have tribulation, patience, experience, hope. And then you have the negative, which is temptation, lust, sin, death. That's James 5 and 1. I don't know how I do this. I, I messed up. I should have left that empty and put that there. But can we do this? Sorry. I'm sorry. <coughs> James 1. So what's over here? <laughs> somebody, somebody talked about the malfactors, right? Kenny, you said that last night. You have two malfactors. And I'm going to be done with this. I'll be quick. You see how this gets more complex, but it's it's going to bring deeper understanding. So <coughs> here's the contrast it manifested at the cross. Manifested at the cross. Another fractal. Okay. Manifested on the cross. What's one of the malefactors say? Kenny said it last night. Hey, Lord, if you're really Christ, save us. What's he not exercising? Patience, temperance. Do you see that? He wants salvation now. I want you to do something now for me, Jesus. That's lust. Leads to sin. What's he do? He dies without hope. You get it? What's the other guy say? What's that? Remember Remember me. He's exercising patience, isn't he? He's looking for what? The resurrection. Do you understand that? He's exercising Romans chapter 5, so One guy is doing Romans 5. The other guy is doing James chapter 1. What's he get from Jesus? What's he get? Comfort of the scriptures. He gets an experience. He gets an experience. He gets the comfort of the scriptures. It's Jesus Christ himself that's telling him, today we'll be in paradise, right? What's the other guy get? Nothing. Jesus says nothing to him. One minute and I'll, I'll give you another fractal. Really easy. And it's right on top of this. Lose your life, you gain it. try to save your life, you lose it. You see the fractal in that? You see the layers? This thing, folks, I know the complexity of algebra probably paralyzes you, but you have to understand that when you do mathematical problems, They do get more complex, but they give you access to greater patterns and greater understanding as to how things work. Do the math. Do the math. You say, I don't like math. I know. It's work. You know what? If you do this work, you're not going to be ashamed. You're not going to say, oh, I should have seen that. I should have recognized that pattern. Do the math. All right, Alan, you still have time. Lord, thank you for all that you do, for what you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.